Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came, humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode will see guest co-hosts and myself give our take on an important monster movie and or film, and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Today is a a mini-sode that we're going to be exploring uh, a format that we might adopt for some additional special episodes. A lot of movies come out every year that are have some inhuman entity at their core be it even oscar movies like shape of water barbie has sentient dolls maybe more on that later there's always something there's always uh, a variety of films and theaters and we don't always get to do individual episodes on them we've been experimenting with reviews at various festivals so today we're going to try out a review minisode which is something we might additionally add to a repertoire as we relaunch for 2024 and with godzilla minus one in theaters uh this at the end of this week at least in the u.s and the new studio ghibli film the boy and the heron coming out soon in the united states in wide release we wanted to you know record a couple reviews of some upcoming films and some that we've seen at the various festivals in the last two months. Just a little, little piece of what's to come. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm a critic and entertainment journalist with bylines of places like Inverse, and The Playlist, and all over the place uh, on everything genre film. I've co-edited books on Monster Media, Alien Philosophy, Stranger Things and Philosophy, as well as having written academic book chapters on topics like Devil, Hell, Cloverfield, Frankenstein, Jurassic Park, and others. As always, if it's monsters, I'm obsessed with it. Today is just me flying solo. Uh, Again, this is an experimental format, and I appreciate you stopping by. So, the first movie that I want to talk about uh, is Godzilla Minus One. It's already been released in Japan. Uh, it's a 2023 Toho uh, new Godzilla movie, their first feature film release after Shin Godzilla, which, as you probably know if you're a fan of the show, I'm a big fan of over here. Godzilla Minus One takes place. You know, it's a retcon story, as as we're used to in the franchise. In the aftermath, or at the at the end of World War II, you have uh, Koichi Shikishima. Uh, once again, uh, forgive me for mispronouncing languages I don't speak. If if I do so, um, Koichi is a kamikaze pilot who, as he and his culture see it, failed to achieve his kamikaze duties. He effectively found an excuse with his plane 
and didn't sacrifice himself for, as he saw it at the time, the greater good. So he's struggling with that lack of identity because that wasn't his, that wasn't his purpose, that wasn't his goal. And he also faced a lot of societal repercussions because he wasn't supposed to come back. He was supposed to be a kamikaze pilot. He feigns technical issues with his plane. He lands on Odo Island and a creature attacks and kills all the mechanics. This is a, a really intense cold open. It's, it's a type of creature that he's never seen before. And because yet again of his inaction, a lot of the mechanics on the island die, leaving him the sole survivor. So two years later, he returns to Tokyo or, or he's been returned in Tokyo. He has survivor's guilt over what happened with the mechanics, over his role in the war. Tokyo's in rubble. So he ends up uh, finding a woman named Nariko Oishi, and she has adopted a child who's infant, uh, an infant child whose parents uh, have, have, are, are no longer around. So he kind of, um, brings them into his home as a makeshift family it's interesting because there are no uh, coercive or sexual undertones they are in need and he's reluctant but can't say no to her and the child so he kind of adopts her and she has adopted this child and they live together as a, a makeshift family he finds work aboard this minesweeper boat called the Shinsei Maru with this uh, kind of interesting comical band of uh, folks when Tokyo starts to be yet again under attack from the creature that he survived on the on Odo Island only this time it's not the size of a T-Rex as it was before it is massive it is a proper kaiju um as you might guess it's Godzilla so the um, this creature has been devastating uh, Japanese boats, has been going inland and destroying the area, and so he has to um, find his courage, and the local populace have to band together when they feel effectively abandoned by the government to fight whatever this thing is. I loved the historical origin story. It has uh, strong connections to Godzilla's thematic origins and backstory. It was a really solid reintroduction to the creature. I loved how the context is used to... Because the, the resolution, it's, it's part of Koichi's journey to kind of overcome his guilt over not being willing to, to sacrifice himself in the war effort. He um, goes through a strong arc. At um, one point, he's forced to, I'm not going to spoil much, but he's forced to uh, parent the child alone. Very cute kid, by the way. Um, so he has to, to, to find himself and he has to find his self-esteem and deal with his trauma and survivor's guilt, both over abandoning 
the war effort and over failing to attack the early Godzilla um, when it was the size of a T-Rex and, and thus all the, the mechanics died. So these are all baggage that Koichi has to deal with and I uh, it's very, very well per- performed. Ryunosuke Kamichi plays Koichi and really captures the range of emotions. He's uh, strong as a performer in some really emotionally intense scenes, both in the moments where he's facing Godzilla and he has a big role in the, the, the community's final plan to stop Godzilla's rampage. Uh, he has a very intense scene in the cold open, but he also excels well in the scenes with the family there's there's a lot of really strong emotional work that's done that he lands capably it's interesting as the film explores his journey that it it kind of criticizes the era's expectation that you know kamikaze fighters culturally are expected to sacrifice their lives for japan and that's that. It finds an interesting middle ground to criticize that lack of value of, of individual human life. Um, this is this is the film's words, not mine. Without taking a route straight into more like American style individualism of the, the, the self over the many over the collective. So it finds like a really interesting third way forward that philosophically I find very interesting thematically. I find very worth exploring. I kind of didn't expect it, but it's an interesting conversation. There's a, there are a lot of good set pieces in the film with the fleet um, opposing Godzilla. Um, Godzilla's vicious and properly destructive. This is a great design. It looks like a nice modernization of classic Godzilla. I know that Toho's most recent Godzilla film, Shin Godzilla, I really love that movie. But the design, I like it. I I like it quite a bit. But it's very, very different from a classical Godzilla design. Godzilla minus one. It is a nice modernization of a very uh, of the Godzilla we know and love and fear. Uh, it looks great. There are a lot of wonderful shots of it. Um, you know, uh, chasing after a ship in the ocean, um, standing above a city. That they really know how to use the set pieces well. The cinematography is beautiful. Godzilla's vicious and properly destructive. I like the resolution of the film. Um, the uh, So Noriko Oishi is played by uh, Minami uh, Hamabe. And she does a wonderful job. She really sells the connection with the infant. And I think it's definitely a strong... It's a strong set of performances overall. The crew of the Shinsei Marie are 
quirky and complex. Everyone feels different. They play off each other very well. You know, again, I think Godzilla here is properly terrifying. Human stuff really works. My biggest criticism is that some of the scenes are played in a somewhat melodramatic fashion where there's moments of real heightened emotionality that kind of contrast poorly against some of the more realistic portrayals and moments and and not like not like Godzilla's attacking now emotions are heightened it's genuinely really elevated and comes across by contrast a little more dramatic those moments are not terribly uncommon uh they don't dominate ultimately it's a wonderful film i really enjoyed it that's Additionally, there are some pacing problems. There's uh, a moment, there's, there's a moment where the community is coming together to figure out how they're going to combat Godzilla. And there's a lot of fun in that moment, but then it goes on rather long and kind of suffers the film's pacing a little bit at a certain point. And that certain point lasts, it feels like, excessively long. So those are really only the issues that I had with the film. I'd give it four and a half. Godzilla's out of five. It's a great time. Godzilla's properly menacing. The emotional stuff works. I'm really excited to see, you know, what Toho has coming next for my favorite big green boy. Next, I kind of wanted to talk about The Boy and the Heron, uh, written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. So, it's, uh, it was dropped uh, surprisingly with very little fanfare. It's really interesting. It centers around a young boy named Hito who mourns the loss of his mother. Uh, she, she died in the firebombing of Japan. She was a nurse. And... His family relocates to the countryside. His father runs an air munitions factory and his and marries his sister-in-law, Natsuko. So Mahito is is angry and confused. He doesn't like this at all. He's still sad about the loss of his mother. And he ends up finding this sort of half-buried tower. Um and runs into a talking heron who is uh, we find out a monstrosity. He's kind of part bird, part man. Uh, the, the heron tells him his mother's still alive and that he should follow the heron. It is, of course, a trap that leaves Mahito in another series of realms that's linked to by this tower that's a bridge between the worlds of the living and the worlds of the dead. Um, it's so interesting with this movie because it was is dropped sort of it's already been released widely in japan people thought the wind uh, rises was going to be the last of Miyazaki's studio ghibli film and happily we know that that's not true he's already planning additional films and i would love for him to you know, spearhead all sorts of 
new projects between now and forever if I had the choice. Uh, it's interesting that it was dropped so readily, but the boy and the heron contrasts really, really well with Godzilla minus one because both of them deal with the aftermath of the Pacific War using genre elements. The boy and the heron does a wonderful job of setting up suspense and danger in the other realm. Uh, there's there's a lot of mystery in and around the tower. Mahito's curiosity makes sense with how they set it up. The other realms that he travels into are mysterious, have, of course, odd creatures. And I say, of course, because it's a Studio Ghibli film. Um, the heron has a layer of menace, even when he's making promises to the boy so i think that all those levels really pull you in visually it's arresting the worlds that the boy travels into uh that mojito travels into are beautiful and at times terrifying and curious there's a, a parakeet realm where He's chased down by a horde of armed parakeets, uh, parakeet soldiers. It's so interesting and engaging to watch. The world building is incredible. Um, and the other realms we see are, are visual, visual treats. You know, the uh, there are massive seas. There are unique creatures. It feels really rich and lived in. The vocal performances. I, I haven't seen the English dubbed version, but in the the version with Japanese voice acting, Mahito is, is very well played uh, by Soma Santoki. There's a lot of pathos in the vocal performance. Um, Masaki Suda's Grey Heron has menace and complexity. Um, I love the design of the heron because it, it ranges the full gamut from a, a proper heron to a man clearly like bulging out like uh bulging out of a heron suit if you will it's really really interesting and i think a really really strong film overall i would say I have a couple of issues with the film, unfortunately. The narrative as a whole is so delicately teased out over its runtime. You really follow the emotional journey. You follow the exploration of this backstory with his family connection to the Great Tower and his possible role in the, its maintenance and the scheme of things. There's, there's a lot of responsibility that's teased to him but he's going through an emotional journey and all that's so wonderfully developed the world building is so beautifully explored but then the resolution at the end by contrast feels a little bit abrupt and rushly uh, rushed uh, quickly resolved and it's a bit jarring it just kind of the film just bounces so suddenly. Um, additionally, you know, there, there's 
questions that you can't help but feel are unresolved things that it, it there's so much world building that happens so there are things that it teases but doesn't explore uh, for example uh, you know there's a world with an ecosystem of souls and they become incarnated humans if they remain uneaten by this local wildlife it's gorgeous and it's harrowing but that is a complicated metaphysics to drop there's it connects to mojito's world in some transparent ways but those connections are not explored or explained um, ultimately it's it's a wonderful film and uh there are aspects that feel like they need teased out or like it ends a little bit too early so i would give it four herons out of five absolutely worth your time it's a beautiful ride um, couldn't help but feeling a little bit of a lack of connection at the end but it's still you know has a tremendous magical feeling that's all for now um but we'll we'll be back again soon with some more reviews uh planning on reviewing poor things the sort of frankenstein inspired emma stone feature as well as wonka because oompa loompas are a something uh, and it makes in the preview of the show just watched that a short time ago as always thank you so much for spending some time with us today once more i'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening from the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares, they've been our protectors and our villains, they've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. Thank <laughs> you.